Without any further ado, y'all, the Honorable Cheyenne Webb. Welcome to the show, Ms. Webb. Ms. Webb, you there? I have no idea what is going on with our phones today. Let me try this one more time. Ms. Webb, you there? Hey, Ms. Webb. Do that song bring back memories to you? It brings back many, many memories. Many memories of yesterday and many memories of today. Ms. Webb, before you start, I want to say thank you so much for accepting this interview. I am honored. Um, I'm blushing right now because I have the one and only Cheyenne Webb on my phone lines on my radio show. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, ma'am. Um, today was a momentous day and I'm glad you know we didn't we didn't set this up to be this way because we had no idea Joe Biden was going to actually um, nominate uh, Kamala Harris and come out today but today yeah. when you saw Kamala Harris go on the stage and accept the nomination for uh, Vice President of the United States of America for the Democratic Party I have to ask you this because because of what you were doing at eight years old it is possible and did you see at eight years old that someday what you were fighting for, that a woman looked like you could withstand there and accept the nomination for one of the, the second um, highest position in, in this country? You know what? It's, it was one of the most exciting uh, days of, of my life. Uh, after having been a child growing up in the civil rights movement and, and after experiencing what happened in in the 1960s and what we're plagued with today, yes, it could be no better choice than have our first African-American woman. And it tells all of us that we're coming of age uh, in American politics. And black women have always been in the, ba- in the background, uh, not only with politics, but uh, even in democracy. So I think that the the uh, duo that we have on the Biden-Harris ticket, it couldn't be any better. She's bringing a lot of brilliance, smartness, energy, um, so much to the table. She has a track record of experience. Yes, so it has really, for, especially for us women, and hopefully for the men all across the country, her nomination being, uh, her nomination of her pick being the first African-American woman uh, to be our vice president. And, and that, in actuality, I'm claiming it. Okay. <laughs> I'm claiming it. It's a okay. win-win situation because we're going to get out and do the work that we must do. There's no option for us anymore because all of our lives have been impacted uh, based upon the leadership in which we've been operating on. And, and there's no reason for no one to give of any excuses for us not to go to the polls to vote or do whatever we got to do to become a part of the process to ensure that 
it's a victory for all of us on the Biden-Harris ticket. So I'm just so excited and overwhelmed uh, about the um, pick for uh, Kamala Harris for first African, being the first African-American uh, woman. Yes, ma'am. In that position. Yes, ma'am. And I want to say thank you um, because me being a black man in America today and for the work that you did alongside Martin Luther King um, during that time, it's because I was able to, why well, I'm able to do what I do today. You know, we may have a difference in politics on some things here, but it's because of you. And that's what I want to get into your story today about um, in this election time. And I want you to tell America the story today, uh, Ms. Webb, about back then, as a little girl, how did you get started um, marching? How did you meet the Honorable Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? First and first and foremost, um, for some some unforeseen reason, the first time that I met Dr. Martin Luther King um, Jr., I, I grew up from a poor family of eight in George Washington Carver Project, which was right next adjacent to the now historic uh, Browns Chapel AME Church. And as I would often play in front of that church when I was that little girl, uh, seven years old. And on this particular day, as my best friend and I were playing, we saw these cars that uh, had driven up, and of course, it gravitated our attention. And we started walking towards those cars, and, and obviously from that point on, we were introduced to Dr. King. But I knew as that little girl that attention that Dr. King was being given with these men and his entourage that was with him on that day surrounding him, I just knew that he was special. But he became even more special to me simply because from the time that he asked me what my name was, he kept asking me questions as they went into the real Browns Chapel Church because they were about to have a strategy meeting. And as we were walking and he was constantly asking the normal questions that adults ask little girls, where do you go to school? Where do you live? And he was trying to explain to me why he was coming to Selma to start a movement with his entourage. When they got ready to go into the rear door, there was one particular man with him, and he said that you children can go and play now because we're about to have a meeting. Mm -hmm. And Dr. King, he immediately said, no, let them come in. And he took us by our hands, and we went into the room where they would be having this meeting. He went and got two chairs, and he put them in the rear of that room. And then he went and got his chair, and he put it in, in front of us. And he continued to give us that special attention, asking us questions. And for me, being that little girl and, and me uh, being gravitated to him so instantly, just instantly with that attention, uh, my life has never been the same since that time. And as a, as a result of my meeting, Dr. King, I can, I can just go on and on and tell you about the conversations and, and all of the times that he would come to Selma, but he gravitated my attention as that little girl at seven years old. And once he did that, mm -hmm. I became a very disobedient little girl. My mm. parents couldn't stop me. They couldn't tell me anything. 
I will want to be out at Brown's Chapel Church every time that Dr. Martin Luther King would come to Selma, whether it was for a mass meeting, whether it was for a march, or whatever. And even those times when he wasn't there, when when the late Congressman John Lewis and C.T. Vivian and others were there, I wanted to be there. Wow. Now, Ms. Webb, I, I want to ask you this, because um, I want to make sure I value your time on the show. If Dr. Martin Luther King was here today and he saw what was going on, what would he say, what would you think he would say to the black community for the election that's coming up on November 3rd? Well, I, I think he would be on the same page as Dr. King was here today. Mm-hmm. I think that he would be uttering the same cries and the same philosophy that Congressman John Lewis did when he before he died. Mm-hmm. He would he would be a voice of hope and and determination and peace, uh, protesting, uh, still sharing the uh, word uh, in his ministry of nonviolence and encouraging us to vote vote in a way like we never ever voted before, in spite of what's going on. Uh, with the divisiveness and the race relations and all of the uh, disparities and, and challenges in which we we are, we are facing now. Ms. The vote is what would make the difference. So voting would not be an option for us. And I think that those basically would be uh, uh, Dr. King's echoes, the same echoes that Congressman Lewis had. Ms. Webb, can you stay with us while I go to break real quick? Can you hold on for probably about another three minutes? Yes, most certainly. Thank you, Ms. Webb. All right, America. I am honored, and I hope you are too. We have Ms. Webb on the line with us. You guys hang tight. We'll be right back. Our Wednesday evening and Wednesday night forecast includes a partly cloudy sky. will drop back in the middle 70s for Thursday. The chance for scattered storms redeveloping in our local area will top out in the lower 90s on Thursday. It'll be a hot day and a humid day and very similar conditions going into Friday and Saturday. That chance for scattered showers and storms will be with us, otherwise hot and humid. On WVUA 23, Chief Meteorologist Richard Scott with your forecast on this Crawford Broadcasting Station. Life Touch Massage is a local innovative spa located in the Parkside District of downtown Birmingham. We provide affordable services in a relaxing environment for individuals who work, live, play, and travel downtown. We provide a variety of massages including Swedish deep tissue, hot stone, cupping, sports, pregnancy, and much more. Give us a call today or visit us online to schedule your next spa service. Remember, with Life Touch Massage, relief is only a touch away. Whether you just found it or you've lived there for years, you'll never forget that feeling. It was something that made you realize this house would become your home. And since there's no place like it, it deserves protection just as special. A local Allstate agent can help you customize an Allstate house and home insurance policy and point out lots of ways to save. Like if you have a newer roof, it could help lower your rate. Hey, this is John Sadler. Please give us a call for free quote at 699-4263. America's favorite uncle, Uncle Boz.
This is your favorite Uncle Boz, and somebody told me that people are dying that have never died before, so it's time for families and individuals to step up and take care of business. I want you to contact my friend Veronica Parrish. She is an independent agent with Lincoln Heritage Life Insurance, and she can let you know if you qualify for pre-approval for their final expense program. You can call Veronica's office at 205 386-5440 or you can even call her cell phone 205-566-9183 Today is August 12th and this is Uncle Bob's with Lock It In News It's the 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act Does the current generation understand the importance of voting? Jeff Elisoff has the story August 6, 1965 President Lyndon Johnson signs the Voting Rights Act into law, a time of celebration across America. Bishop Teresa Jefferson Snorton remembers her grandmother watching the news that day. And her jumping up from the couch, yelling, I get to vote. Three months later, on Election Day 1965, she got dressed up in her Sunday best, put her purse on her arm, and walked about two miles to the voting place so she could vote time. It's an image I'll never forget, and that's why for me, voting is something that we never take for granted. Voting the late Reverend Nelson Smith of Birmingham. There is a crack in the liberty bell. This crack exists because liberty in this country is crack. Voting is a means to fix the crack in liberty. And Liberty's torch has been passed to a new generation of activists determined to register every eligible Alabamian. Which includes a voter outreach goal of 160,000 infrequent, inactive, black, brown, and working class Alabamians making under $50,000. Continuing the work of activists like the late John Lewis, who saw as precious every single vote. Too many people yearned for it, and too many people died for it. That's it for Lock It In News. Stay locked in for the second half of the Joe Lockett Show. Welcome back into the show today. Um, I was going somewhere early in the show today, but, you know, when this guest came on, like I said, I had to calm it down, y'all, because, I, again, I owe her. We all owe her, especially if you're in the black community. You owe her for what she did, for the marches she did. She got a chance to sit down with the one and only. Everybody across the globe knows who he is, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We have, I'm on the phone lines with us right now, Miss Cheyenne Webb. Are you still there, ma'am? Yes, I'm here. You know, again, I want to say thank you. I know you're getting tired of me saying that, but I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Um, I want to ask you a few questions, if you don't mind, as well. Sure. Okay. What was Martin Luther King like? First and foremost, uh, for me... Yes, ma'am. Being that little girl growing up seven years old, meeting him at that time... I must say he was very special to me because 
I saw him in the light of, you know, even though I was a young little girl, I knew what the word change mean. And that's what he came to Selma, and I would later find out that's what he was trying to do all over the country is to come to uh, meet the challenges of African Americans uh, with their in- injustices, racial discrimination, uh, inequalities, and, and particularly for African Americans to gain their right to vote. Um, and when I recognized that, because you couldn't be in the midst of uh, or around Dr. King and and all of all of the uh, other people uh, what, that we call freedom fighters yes, who were there, who were courageous enough to be there, you couldn't be around them and not only understand, but also feel that deep embedded spirit that existed in the hearts and souls of those who wanted to be a part of that change. So me as that little girl, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was not only special, but he really uh, put me on a path in life in helping me to um, not understand what my parents were being challenged with, that they were afraid of because first and foremost, it was very risky for anyone to come to Selma at that time to become a part of that movement. You can not only lose your jobs, but you can even lose your lives. And as the movement continued, uh, we saw before Dr. King had come to Selma, Mm -hmm. Jimmy Lee Jackson uh, being killed and many others. And then, of course, uh, as that movement matriculated, many people that I got the opportunity to meet among Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., Jonathan Daniels, Viola Luce, so Reverend James Reeves, and, and now Congressman John Lewis, and, and Reverend C.T. Vivian. As that little girl, I had the opportunity to meet all of these, all of these uh, freedom fighters and leaders who, who were a part of uh, Dr. King's entourage. And me being in the midst of Dr. King um, and being in the midst of turbulent times, growing up in it and and being that disobedient child who wanted to be a part of that change. I didn't only witness that, I felt it as that little girl. And I was the youngest little girl on that bloody Sunday march that Congressman John Lewis and and, uh, the late Hosea Williams uh, had. So being in the midst of of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he just opened up my eyes. He was a he was a very intelligent and a very uh, a person uh, who really loved everybody, even in the midst of hatred and racism. He wanted to bring people together, and especially poor people. And in the midst of all that was going on, and and with that being said, he he took a village approach. Mm-hmm. And under his leadership, we're bringing people together uh, from from various races who, again, had the courage enough to be a part, you know, of that movement. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not just in, in Selma, Alabama, but many other places. So I saw him as a man um, who, who was a, a change agent that I would later understand. And I saw him being a man who really... Uh, was in the fight for humanity, not for himself, but for mankind. And and that alone 
being in the midst of Dr. King and, and the other leaders and other people who have taught me so much as I matriculated in that movement, what it did for me, it, it, it really set me apart from my peers because if you weren't in the midst of that, you couldn't understand it to the magnitude that I did as that disobedient child. And if the movement didn't do anything else for me in the midst of hatred and, and being called the N-word and, and, and trying to, as I matriculated in school, trying to uh, become competitive with whites and integrated school, being spat on and pushed down the steps, even in spite of that, I gained character. And I knew that the character that I had gained during my childhood has helped to bring me uh, to where I am today. And outside of that, it has made me the change agent uh, that I am and has been over the years. I I knew before I left Selma Mm -hmm. that I wanted to become a youth advocate because it was people like Dr. King and Congressman Lewis and others who touched Mm -hmm. my life as a little girl who raised my consciousness, who amplified my little child's voice that made the difference in my life. So I wanted to make a difference in the lives of others. And that's what my life has been about. Wow. Ms. Wolf, I want to ask you this question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But as I'm listening to you and you said people called you the N-word and people kicked you and people spat on you at certain times during the protesting as you was growing up and trying to get change for us um, in, in America. Did it make you hate some people in America? No, it it never has put hatred in my heart because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you couldn't be in the midst of uh, under the ministry and leadership of Dr. King during such turbulent times mm-hmm. where hatred uh, was prevailed every day. Racism was prevailed every day. You know, I, I saw that even before Dr. King came, but I saw it even, I witnessed it and experienced it even more when I became a part of that movement as a little girl. And that's not what he taught. That's why his ministry of nonviolence was very prevalent and strong, and it is what made the difference in terms of the results that came about with the cause. So I I never had no sense of hatred in my heart, even though uh, hatred was in my face. You know, as I yes, continued ma'am. to matriculate, and even today, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 I learned early in life, you know, what change was about, uh, especially if it was wrong, because any time the word change is used, a person can either look at it from a bad side or a good side, and 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 really, what makes the difference with change is how you respond to it. Wow. So. What you went through is nowhere what this young generation, I call them young whippersnappers, are going through right now. And it's so much, to, to me, uh, Ms. Webb, I feel like there's so much hatred or dis, um, discontent with each one of us to, as a society, you know, with the blacks and the whites, uh, the difference in um, politics. You found it in your heart when people were calling you the N-word and spitting on you and kicking you to still find a way of love. So... I got to ask you this, and I don't know if you know the answer, but we will love as a, in America to know the answer to this. What are we doing wrong? 
we're protesting. People are protesting. People won't change. But where is the love? What do we need to do more of? What can the young whippersnappers, the young soldiers out there, what do they need to do to get to where you were, what Martin Luther King left the blueprint for? What are we missing here? Well, number one, I think we all know that uh, the death of George Floyd mm-hmm. and and so many others, even since that time, mm-hmm. uh, amplified the the voices of young people and people across the the country because we saw it visibly on on TV, and we had young people who became a part of protesting for. Uh, uh, systemic racism, uh, the injustices, inequality, and all of those things. But the, the difference is, you know, from the 60s, when, when, when we were protesting for much of the same back in the 60s, there were young people, just like they are today. But mm-hmm. the only thing about it is we were under a leadership who really uh, not only gave us the methodology of the importance of being nonviolent, even when we knew that we would perhaps be challenged. There was never one time that a protest took place or a march took place when it was felt like nothing was going to happen. That's, that's why in many instances people were killed and people were beaten, and those challenges were to be expected. And that's why Dr. King taught us about the philosophy of being nonviolent in spite of and then with that, he also taught us about love. And I think in today's, uh, as we are in the modern day movement and meeting much of the same challenges, it's so important. And what I do love and I compliment uh, all of the young people across uh, the country of color who came together to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And we saw that in many good regards. And then on the other hand, we saw it when... Uh, there were some uh, other protests where other young people uh, wanted to distract that nonviolent approach mm-hmm. and who wasn't on the same page of the mission. And, 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 the, and the thing about it is today, even in the modern day time and in this modern day movement, everybody got to be on the same page. They have to be clear about what that mission is. And then whatever it is or whatever is going on, even in the midst of, of such a div- divisive world under a poor leadership, we still have to maintain our dignity. We still have to keep hope alive, but we still have to love instead of hate. Because in the midst of it all, when you do the right thing, eventually everything is going to come out all right. And that was Dr. King's philosophy, which was followed by Congressman Lewis and so many others. We must never hate, but we must also keep fighting and understand that in order for us to come together and be unified and understand the mission, we've got to continue to dialogue. We got to continue to have conversation, particularly with our young people, so that they can understand the essence of the ultimate mission. And the ultimate mission right now is is operating under uh, nonviolent with protests and marches, standing up for what's right. There's nothing wrong with that. Having strategies 
and and we never did anything uh, without being uh, having strategies and mobilizing, organizing, and um, and and the, and the thing with the modern day movement today is so important for young people to understand that the vote is the bottom line to everything. It governs all of our lives. They are young now, and they. You know, right now with the pandemic that we all have been impacted by, based upon, based upon poor leadership, I mean, with the deaths and all of the health issues and, and everything that we have had to adjust our lifestyles with, young people have to know the, the essence and the, and, the, and the gravity of how important it is for them to not waive any excuses in this voting process with our upcoming election because whether they are of age to vote or not, they still need to be involved in the process. And there are ways and means that they can be involved in it, even in this uh, uh, pandemic with COVID because they are very acclimated to technology. So we got to find all types of ways to get to people, to get to peers, and, and especially to our elderly and, and helping and assisting them. I mean, I know I'm just talking. I'm trying to get it in because this, you know, the choices that we make today yes, ma'am. and with this upcoming election, it can have a far-reaching consequence in our lives in a way that we, you, we think we've seen it, but we've got to win this time. We've got to get it right. Our vote will and can determine change. And, and, and as we continue to move forward with this, our young people in this modern-day movement must understand love still has to bring us together. It's not about hate. It's about us mobilizing, organizing, galvanizing, strategizing, and getting to the polls so we'll have a demic rather than a pandemic. Wow. Do you mind if we coin that phrase here on the Joe Lockett Show, Ms. Webb? Pardon me? Do you mind if we coin that phrase, we had need to have a podemic instead of a pandemic? I like that. That's right. That's what we that's what we need to be leading to. Coming out of the pandemic and going to a podemic. Wow. Uh, we're going to be stealing some of your phrases and playing it back here on the Joe Lockett Show because I always say on my show, you vote how you vote, but you need to vote. And I, I, again, I'm going to keep saying I am very honored um, to be speaking with you. And I personally want to thank you uh, for what you did for me. Because if it wasn't for you and a lot of others doing what you did, I wouldn't be sitting here on this microphone, on this radio station, being able to do what I do. I wouldn't be able to go vote. And you decided to take that up as an um, eight-year-old girl um, and go against all odds. And I, I did a little research, Ms. Webb. I know our time is getting short here. And I thank you for hanging out with us. Your parents, when everything was going on, you was out there fighting for voting rights for the black uh, community. Your parents was not voting. And that was a reason why. Can you tell Americans, listen now, why, why your parents didn't vote? Well, they were, my parents weren't voting. And that's why I felt like I needed to be out there standing up for them because certainly I wasn't of age. Uh, to vote, yes, but I, I I found myself being of age, being out there in the fields with those other freedom fighters, going knocking on doors. I learned so much in that process about the significance of the vote. 
but my parents couldn't vote just like many other African Americans who were afraid to vote because if they did, again, they could lose their jobs. They and when they lose their jobs, they lose their livelihoods. They can't take care of they couldn't take care of their children. They couldn't do anything. And because they were being threatened by so much during that time. And these were just rights that were due to African Americans. But what my parents did ultimately do, because they couldn't do anything with me, because they had to get up early in the morning and go to work, and I became that disobedient child, and it was a threat for me getting hurt and a threat for them having jobs and, and everything else. But they became registered voters uh, later. That's what I asked them for for my birthday. And that wow. would be later years. And from that time that wow. they became registered voters, they never missed a, a, a time for voting. And even with my dad, up to his last uh, weakening days of cancer, we took him in a wheelchair because he knew wow. what that struggle meant to me and for him and everybody else. And, and, and they never missed a, a time from voting. So we're standing on so many shoulders. And that's what we got to keep infusing history uh, to our children. They can't understand it like, and, and you can't understand it like I could and people who were there. But all you need to know is keep understanding what that history about and understanding the shoulders that all of us continue to stand on. And we can't let these people's uh, voices not be heard in terms of what they were encouraging us to do, and we definitely can't let their lives go in vain. Ms. Webb, I want to thank you so much, and I want to give you some accolades here, and I thank you for actually sharing this message with us because we need this at a time in our society um, because a lot of people say your vote don't count. A lot of people say you have to be radical and you have to do it the violent way. But I love what you said because I preach this on my show and I'm probably one of the only radio talk show hosts in the world. No matter what somebody says to me, I always tell them when they hang up the phone, I love you. Uh, and I always end my show at the end of every show. I always say, I love you. And to hear you say what you are saying, I feel like what MLK put out there, he put a part of it in me to be able to speak that every single night on this microphone. Um, so thank you for that. But I also want to give you some accolades here. Because somebody told me that you had a film done in 1999 about the book that you wrote, Selma, Lord Selma. We got a little bit of time left in the show. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, that book was co-authored by uh, my um, childhood friend, Rachel uh, West, and myself. Uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, it wasn't ordinary to become a part of that movement, mm -hmm. even if you were an adult. So oftentimes, news reporters would come to, to Selma, and they would see these little girls in the midst of mass meetings and, and, and some of the marches there, and, and they were capturing that through pictures. So there was one reporter who came uh, to Selma years later and wanted to know where did we live because he was interested in, in getting a book done on it. And, and at that time, we had a white mayor, and he knew where we lived. He just knew uh, everything basically about us because we were both disobedient, okay? Mm -hmm. And it was unusual for children to be in the midst of all of that. And, of course, Frank Sikora, who was that news reporter from Birmingham, he's no longer with us. But he initiated that. 
he really was the person who made our book a reality, and then ultimately it would become a Disney movie. And this book still is very vibrant and living well today since that time uh, in, in, in schools all over the country. And it has allowed me the opportunity to speak across the country to young people, adults alike, about my childhood memories growing up in the Civil Rights Movement with Dr. King. And in my message, I also like to inspire people to be a better version of themselves. And the only mm. way that you can be a better version of yourself is first and foremost, you need to get believe in yourself, get the best education that you can get, go as far as you can go. I, I really encourage reading, writing, and, 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 and finding out where your passion lies and wherever, whatever those passions are, you know, I always said that there's some way, somewhere that you can make a difference. And and my theory is and always has been is from what Dr. King said in one of his speeches. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You only need a heart full of grace with a soul that's generated by love. And that's how I live because I came under the leadership of people like Dr. King and John, and and John, Congressman John Lewis and others who yes, taught me that well, and I've carried it through life, and it has made a, a, a significant and a profound impact on my life, and it's something that money can never buy. Ms. Webb, I want to thank you so much for stopping by the show. Thank you for your time, and I will make sure that we put all your websites out there and everything. Thank you, and we love you. Thank you. I love you too. Have a good night. All right, America. There's nothing more I need to say after that. Nothing, nothing at all. You guys heard it. Look up um, Miss Cheyenne Webb, the Honorable I Caller. Um, her book is Selma Lord Selma. I think I'm doing something right, y'all. What I tell y'all every night, and what did she say? Nonviolence still works. We just got to get back to it. Love. So I'm going to say it one more time, and I will always say it to my last brother as I take on this microphone. America, no matter who you are, I love you. Have a good She despised me to do what I love, even though I might experience loss. Mama said, smile through the pain, it's okay. But blood, sweat, and tears is what it's no cost. She said, keep a good name, don't sell off for fame. Boy, your soul is all that you got. Just remember who you are, baby, shoot for the stars. And you're sure to come out on top. Yeah, tonight that I'm ordering. I understand more and now. Gotta move forward now. So I'ma keep climbing this hill. Keep climbing this hill. Even though I might fall, I don't know any other way to live. So my all is what I give. And I'll keep climbing this hill. Even though I might fall, I don't know any other way to live. So my all is what I'll give. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you'd like to be on the show or advertise your business, go to joelocketshow.com.
We are one nation under God. A powerful message now with more power. From the Crawford Broadcasting Studios, the best Bible teachers in America with 100,000 watts at 101.1 FM. This is WXJC 